here to sugarcoat I'm sorry about you Too much shelter causes pain Let's just be real honest Things are gonna knock you down Avoidance will not help you out Let's talk it through you, me and you Let's keep it real honest Hi everyone, welcome back to another week of Real Honest with me um, Today we are talking about boundaries Which I kind of hate that word really and truly. My favorite speaker on the topic is Lisa Turkhurst. Love her. She has lots of books. The most recent one that I read is Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, which I thought was really helpful and interesting. I learned a lot from it. So if you like to read, want to learn more, want some like practical exercises and next steps and things like that, highly, highly recommend her. But basically, I think I hate the word boundaries because it just immediately makes me think of confinement and like, I don't want to be confined. I don't like limits. I, I feel like boundaries are like putting you inside a box where like, I want to crash through things and like try new things and change things. But I think in practice, the idea is that boundaries protect us my favorite celebrity couple, Carlos and Alexa Panavega, um, they have done a really good job, I think, on like their YouTube channel. And I think they mention it in their book too. But just talking about how a lot of people think that marriage is really restricting, where like people kind of celebrate the single life as like you can do whatever you want. And kind of traditionally, bachelor parties have been like a funeral to the man's singleness. That's like, well, great. Now you're like changed to this woman forever. And like, you can't do this and you can't do that and blah, blah, blah. And they, um, they have done a really good job of kind of talking about how they have found that their boundaries within marriage has come to be more freeing. Some speaker at some point who was talking about boundaries, I think said something to the effect of if there are no limits to things, like let's say you are like running track and you're doing the high jump And if there was no limit to how high you could jump, it was just like run and jump and see how high you can get, then there's not really a measure of growth where, you know, they have the, um, the high jumps are like set at certain levels. So you have like a goal and it's like, once you reach that goal, then you raise it and then you have a new goal and then you raise it and then you have a new goal. So it kind of helps you, um, like limits give us something to work towards and something to measure against. In Lisa's book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, she also, she talks about boundaries in the context of access, which I thought was really, really interesting. And she talks about like being aware of how much access you give somebody to you and that the access that you give someone needs to match their behavior. So for example, if you have a friend and you share secrets with them and you trust them to keep your secrets and then that friend goes out and shares your secrets with everybody at school or everybody at the office and they're like doing this on a repeated basis and like not learning that that's not a good thing to do you're gonna stop sharing secrets with that friend right so like that's a boundary that you would set 
where your friend now has less access to you and that's not the that person is no longer in your inner circle that you share everything with. So I'm going to dial this back and go with a more, um, I'll dive into the relationship aspect of it later. I'm going to start with just a, a more practical example. So like I have boundary issues when it comes to communication. And I know that I've talked about this on previous episodes and I've complained about it a lot, how it really, really bothers me when people take a long time to respond because my phone is basically attached to my hand. I have my phone all the time. (laughs) And it's just like, my phone is with me when I use the bathroom. My phone is with me when I'm working. My phone is close to me when I'm sleeping. Like I can virtually be reached at any time. (laughs) And personally, I hate to be ignored. And since I hate to be ignored, I work really hard to not ignore other people. And I usually respond very, very quickly. I also am slightly OCD and I hate to have notifications. So like I clean every single day, I clean out my personal email inbox. I clean out the email inboxes of between my two jobs. I have four email addresses and I clean out all of those inboxes every single day. Like, like it, I, I just, I look at messages as they come in in real time and I take care of them immediately so that the notifications are gone and it's off my plate and it's gone for me. But as you can imagine, this causes a lot of issues because at work, for example, I'm a project manager. So typically if somebody is asking me a question at work, they are stalled on the project until they get a response from me. So usually it's like a writer that has a question that I need to relay to the client and then get back to them before they can continue working on whatever it is they're working on. So just because of my role, the way that I do my work is that if I'm working on something for myself or like something that... um a task that I'm completing on my own. So for example, like I'm a project manager, but I am also the community manager for my company. So I manage social media and I plan our virtual events. So when it comes to making a social media post, for example, that's something that I don't need anybody else for. Like I make the idea for the post, I design the post, I put the text on the post, and then I send it to somebody for approval. But like, I don't need anyone to help me create the post. So if I'm working on a social media post and a writer on one of my projects comes to me and says like, hey, I am working on writing this thing and I am missing a piece of information to complete it. Like the client did not fully supply what I need to complete this. So like I'm going to pause on making the social media posts and I'm going to reach out to the client, try to hear back from them as quickly as possible so I can get the answer to the writer so that they can continue their work. And then I will go back and do my thing. I know other people like are more go task by task. So like if they're in the middle of something, they would need to complete the social media post and then look at the message that was sent to them and then so on and so forth. Um, So doing things the way that I do them is that my teams always know that they are going to hear back from me pretty immediately. Like 
we might not hear back from the client, but like, I'm going to respond to them to say, Hey, I see this message. I'm reaching out to the client right now. Like I'll let you know as soon as I hear back from them. And what I have noticed is that the very rare times that I can't get back to somebody quickly, they get anxious. Like I have people on my teams where, um, I'll get multiple, I mean, they're only waiting like five, 10 minutes for me to respond because I usually respond in a minute or two. So then it's like, Hey, did you see that? And then I'm getting more messages. And then that's driving me insane to where like, I have even had to message somebody and say like, Hey, I am in a meeting right now, like an important meeting that I have to pay attention to. So this, the meeting is 30 minutes long. It ends at this time. At that time, I will check all of your messages. I promise. Like, I just need to pay attention to this meeting right now. Um, and that person ended up like going to my boss because they felt like their request was so urgent <laughs> and I was ignoring them and they couldn't wait 30 minutes. So that's really frustrating. Um, that also happens with church a lot where Elevation is a very, very big church. And I am one of our e-groups coordinators who oversees our online e-groups and we have a lot of them. You know, there's so, so, so many. And when e-group leaders have questions. We have a, um, a care team in place where every e-group leader has an assigned care team leader to help answer their questions and resolve any issues or anything like that. And then, um, if the care team leaders are not able to resolve the issue, then they, um, have coordinators above them that they can go to. And then on the coordinator level, like if we can't resolve the issue, then we can pull in the staff for whatever it is to help the, the person resolve the thing. All of these are volunteer roles, except of course the staff, but so, you know, the coordinators and the care team leaders and the e-group leaders, like we're all volunteering. And so people put different amounts of time into their volunteer work. And there are some people who like will check for messages related to their volunteer stuff once a week. Some people will set aside time each day. And I do it the same way that I do my actual job where like as messages come in, I respond to them in real time. So that has created an issue because people in the group chats are like seeing me always respond and always answer questions. And so now everyone comes to me, like even people that are not assigned to me, they're like, I know who I'm assigned to, but you respond a whole lot faster and I want my answer right now. So I'm reaching out to you. And like, I can't even be mad at them because this is a system that I have created. Like I have, I keep responding to people. I keep letting them come to me. And so it's one of those things that like when I am angry at the end of the day that I got nothing done because I didn't work on any of my stuff because I was too busy working on everybody else's stuff and helping everybody else with what they needed when what I need to do is set a boundary. So one of the things that I'm working on with the volunteer role is to make sure that people are reaching out to the right people. So from here on out, like anyone that reaches out to me that is not assigned to me, I'm just like, hey, who is your care team leader or who is your coordinator? And then they tell me and I'm like, great, reach out to them with this question. That's your point of contact. That's been really helpful because if I am not always answering the question and if I'm not going to help them right off the bat, then they'll stop coming to me. And then at work, what I've had to start doing is try to try to like set timers where if I'm working on, it kind of depends on how long the task that I'm working on is going to take. It doesn't take me long to make a social media post. So usually like it might take me 30 minutes on the long end 
um, depending on if the post has like a lot of content in it. So that's the kind of thing where I'm like, if I work on it for 10 minutes and then I pause and answer a question and then I work on it for 10 minutes and then I pause and answer another question and maybe it ends up taking me an hour as opposed to 30 minutes because I was pausing to answer questions along the way. That's not so significant where like I could just spend the 30 minutes to do it and then I could look at people's questions and then answer them and then that's what I do for the next 30 minutes. Like either way, it took an hour to complete all those tasks. So it doesn't really matter. I do want people in the habit of like not sending me recurring messages so that I can't respond. So I'm trying to work on like either setting timers to where if I get a message, I set a timer for like 10 or 15 minutes before I read and respond to it just so that the person doesn't get in the habit of getting a response from me like the minute that they ask the question. Um, I also make sure like my Slack and my email and everything goes on do not disturb when my work hours are like I set my own hours at my job. So like I kind of change it day to day depending on what's going on. But when I'm done working for the day, like everything goes on do not disturb. And I'm like, now I'm done. Like I'm not, I'm not working late at night. Like I'm done now. And anything that I get after this, like I won't even see it until the morning. So if it's an emergency, then they'll have to go to someone else. And so there's just like a very practical example of like a physical thing that was causing me a lot of stress in like different ways that I'm trying to look at getting less stress. On the relationship side, I think that boundaries are a lot more difficult. You know, I told the story on a different podcast about like all of the things that my mom has said about my weight and all that stuff. And when we initially had that conversation, like when she told me that like, if my doctors are telling me that I'm fine, then I need to get different doctors. And if my friends are telling me that I don't look pregnant, then they're liars. Like when we had that conversation, I like set a very aggressive boundary and I just blocked her. Like I blocked her on Instagram. I blocked her on Snapchat. I blocked her number. And I just straight up didn't speak to her for like 15 days because I was like, I got to do something drastic for her to like understand how not okay this is because typically I shouldn't even say typically ideally when something like that happens you would have a conversation with the person and say like hey you said these things that like really hurt my feelings and are really not okay things for you to say to me like do not say things like that to me ever again. But I have had that conversation with my mom like repeatedly over the years. And she always says like, okay, I get it. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. And then she always does it again. So it's just one of those things where I was like, I don't think it's going to be productive to have a conversation here. And we are just like, I'm just not talking to you. Like I just cannot. In those 15 days or however many days it was that I wasn't talking to her, that's the time that I read Lisa Turkhurst's Good Boundaries and Goodbye book. And so I was reading that book and I was journaling like what I was learning from the book. And then whenever I would go to therapy, I would talk to my therapist about what I was learning in the book and like what was going to be helpful. And so this is going back to when I mentioned at the top of the podcast that Lisa talks mentions in her book Um, about access and like the access that you give a person to you and so my therapist was talking to me about you know you have to think that when you are a child and a teenager and you live at home with your parents they have if not a hundred percent they have very close to a hundred percent of access to you where you know your parents know generally 
who your friends are, like who you're spending your time with, who you're dating, where you go and what you do all the time because like they're your parents. And so usually like if you're driving a car, it actually belongs to your parents. Like if you go to private school, like they're paying for school. If you go to public school, like they're either getting you on the bus each day or you know whatever it is like there's there really aren't any aspects of your life that are secret like if you want to take guitar lessons or voice lessons or you want to join the drama club or whatever like typically you have to tell your parents that you want to do those things because you need them to pay for it you need them to get you there you need your parents need to know like if you've joined a club and you're now staying after school an hour every day like they have to know why you're not home at the typical time because you've like done this extra thing when lisa talks about boundaries and access in her book she uses like the example i gave at the top of the episode about like sharing secrets with a friend um she kind of talks about how like once you make a new friend like wait until they behave in a way that says they can have more access so like maybe don't tell your darkest secret to a brand new friend but like if you are friends with someone and over the years like you share a little bit with them you share a little more and they consistently are a source of support and they consistently help you and don't air your dirty laundry to anyone and are not sharing your secrets with the world then you can share more with them but I don't feel like she touched on how to how to do the opposite she kind of talks a lot about how to slowly over time grant someone more access but I feel like for a lot of us with our parents we're we have to do the opposite where it's like they've had full access to us for 18 years at least 18 years. And then as we become adults, when we are now making our own money, managing our own money, making our own decisions, like our parents have less access to us. And for people that are like best friends with their parents and y'all get along super great and you still share everything with them, like kudos to you. I think that is amazing. (laughs) For those of us who are struggling with it, it's kind of like, what do you do? And that's why I like blocked my mom. Cause I was just like, I have to do something aggressive. Like I've tried talking to her and it didn't work. Like, I don't know what else to do. Like, what, what do I do? Like, what are my options here? And so when I was talking to my therapist about it and we were discussing like how to set boundaries here, she's like, you know, think of it as like putting conversation topics. Like if you go back to the high jump example, you know, there are, there are different levels. Like you're looking at the, the bar that you're going to jump over, right? Each bar is set at a certain height and those are different levels. So she says like the very highest level would be like full access to you. This is the person that you share anything and everything with. Like that's Cameron. That's the person up there. And then like the absolute lowest level is this is a person that you're going to make small talk with. Like you will talk about work and the weather, not going to have many personal details. Like that's your lowest level. That would be like stranger in the elevator or like random person sitting next to you on an airplane, whatever it is. 
And then you can have these different levels in the middle are kind of like more details that you want to share or are willing to share. So she's like, you just need to define like what each of those levels are. Like what is the content that's at each level and then place the people in your life at each level so that you know, because for the longest time, I would always call my mom for everything. Like if I was excited about something, I would call my mom. If I was angry about something, I would call my mom and vent. If I was sad about something, I would call my mom and cry. For a while, she was helpful and there just became a time in my life where she stopped being helpful and like, quite frankly, was making me feel worse every time I called her. And I I was so stuck in the habit of calling her all the time that I just kept doing it. And I wasn't even realizing that I felt worse after speaking to her. It's interesting because, sorry to the people that are not Christians, this is just (laughs) because I am, like, this is how my brain works. Like, it always goes to, like, Jesus analogies. But I do believe in spiritual attacks, and I think that the devil can work through anyone, unfortunately. The time that like the a random woman asked if I was pregnant, like, so I had gone to Charlotte for an event with other um, high-level volunteers, and we were all meeting to discuss church leadership and volunteering and how we could improve and... I was at the airport with the other e-groups coordinators and we all went to a coffee shop in the airport to wait for our flights. And we were sitting there um, talking about all of these ideas. Like we were all just on this high from this weekend of like finally meeting in person because we all do online church and we only communicate with each other like on Zoom. So we're coming off this high of like meeting each other for the first time and like finally getting to hug like each other that we we consider friends that we had never met in person and we're all in like such a good mood um and so we're sitting there and I like pulled out a notebook and I was like okay you guys like what did we learn this weekend that we can implement like what is gonna help the e-group leaders of our church like what are we need to start creating some training materials we need to um, we need to start making sure that we're having like regular meetings and getting information out in a timely manner. And like we were just kind of going around the group, like everybody sharing like what they had learned and their ideas. And we were like really fired up about this. But I was really like the person leading and, and instigating the conversation and, um, you know, putting into like somebody would would say an idea and then I would write that idea down and assign it to somebody to implement And so I got up to go to the bathroom and the barista um, came out to give me directions to the bathroom and she like linked her arm in mine and like, um, like while she's showing me where the bathroom is, she links her arm in mine like we are good friends and she leans in and she whispers, are you having a little baby? And I was like, what? And she was like, are you having a little baby? And I was like, no. (laughs) And one of the other coordinators was like right on the other side of me. 
And the two of us like got into the bathroom and the other coordinator looked at me and she's like, what was that? And I was like, I have absolutely no idea. And then I was just so distracted by it. We're like, when we got back to the coffee shop, the barista like hid in a back corner. Like she was no longer at the counter, like taking orders. She like hid in this back corner until our group like left the shop. Like she didn't, she didn't look our way. She didn't say anything to us. And we're all like back at our table. And I'm kind of like staring out, like just what people watching in the airport. Um, because my brain is now going through like, this is the second time that a random person in public has asked me if I'm pregnant and like, where is this coming from? Like, why do people think that I look pregnant? Like, what is going on? And I had like shared with the other coordinators, like the previous time this had happened to me a year ago when I was at Disney and they were all like, you know, consoling me and trying to help me feel better. But then one of them was like, what were you doing when, you know, you got up to go to the bathroom and she came over to say this to you? And I was like, what? And she's like, think about it. Like you were totally in the zone, like here leading us and like really excited about going home to create all of these training materials and leading other people. And like, what is happening now? you're distracted, you're crying, you're not in the zone. We have stopped talking about all of these great ideas that we had that you were going to implement. So I think this is a spiritual attack. I think the devil used that woman to derail you because he doesn't want us to work on this really amazing thing that we were going to, you know, we were like really getting somewhere and you were leading the charge and like now you got torn down so like can we try to put that aside and like get back to what we were doing and so we kind of we kind of got back to it but it just like you know heart wasn't fully in it and then my mom picked me up from the airport so I got home and then got in the car with her and then she said what she said And then I had a really good friend because obviously I was just like sobbing because my mom was so mean to me. And I like called one of my best friends and she was like, you know, just because she's your mom doesn't mean the devil can't use her. And again, like, look at what you're trying to do. It's like you were so excited about the weekend and had a great time And like your mom couldn't celebrate that with you for 10 seconds. It was just like immediate anger and upset as soon as you got in the car for no reason. Now you are just like so distraught and so torn down that you've laid on the floor crying for 20 minutes. You've called and been on the phone with me for 45 minutes where that's a whole hour and a half almost that you could have been writing the training materials that you planned when you first got to the airport, like before any of this happened. Like it is not about, it's not about your weight and it's not about what you look like. Like this is about you being the person that the church needs to lead this charge to improve organizing your volunteers so that more people are able to get connected to your church and that is being torn down and attacked and that is where you need to 
focus your attention here. And I go on this little aside of the spiritual attack just to say when it comes to spiritual attacks in general, like I have always felt like the devil can only use evil people. Like the devil can't use Christians and the devil certainly can't use my mom because for one thing, she's my mom and she loves me. And for another thing, like she's a Christian, like she prays every day. She's very close to Jesus. She has like a really, really great close personal relationship with Jesus. So like, how is it possible that like the devil would use her? But then you have to think like, well, the devil's going to use people that get the job done. And it's kind of like if a random stranger off the street like walks up to you and is like that's a terrible color on you and then walks away you might be offended that they think the color looks bad on you but you're more likely going to be like that was weird what a crazy person and move on but if your very best friend says it to you you know it's just it it hits different from somebody that means something to you that is supposed to protect you and love you and care about your feelings and whatever it is. So going back to the boundaries and access things, like when you are a kid, boundaries are set for you and access is predetermined that your parents have full access all the time. And one of the first things that like started getting really difficult for me and my mom was when I, um, I lived on campus for the first two years of college. And then the last two years I moved back home with my parents. And so I felt like my mom was viewing me like I was a high schooler again because she like had to know where I was going and who I was going with and what I was doing all the time. And I was just kind of very like, I mean, I can give you the names of the people that I'm meeting for dinner, but they're not going to mean anything to you because you don't know them. You don't know them and you're not going to know them. Like I'm not in high school. It's different when I was in high school and you knew all of my friends because when we would hang out, we would either hang out here or we would hang out at my friend's house. Like there was nowhere else to go. And also in the years before we could drive, like you had to take us places or my friend's parents had to take us places. So like you, you had to know who all of my friends were. Like now that I'm in college, there are friends that I only see on campus and I'm never going to bring them to your house. I'm either going to see them on campus or I'm going to meet them somewhere. So like, yeah, I can tell you their names, but it's like, that's very different from like, me being in high school and saying like I'm at Ashley's house and you know exactly where Ashley's house is and you know her parents names and you have their phone numbers and like that's just not the situation anymore and she would always get really upset and like yell at me and be like if you're gonna live under this roof like you're gonna live by my rules and like blah 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 like so much so many of us have heard that but I do imagine for a parent it's got to be difficult to make that shift because, you know, for the last 18, 20, I think that what what is the age now that you're on your parents' health insurance till 26? So, you know, for the first, that's a big 
huge amount of time that like your child is telling you everything and you do have to make all the the decisions for better, for worse, right or wrong. Like everything comes from you. And so I imagine that that's a really, really hard adjustment for parents when they have adult children that are now making their own decisions and paying their own bills and doing what they want with their money as opposed to you telling them like, here's $20 and here's what you can buy with it. Like, it's just, I, I can only imagine how difficult and how stressful that is because it's so absurdly stressful on my end that I can imagine it being really, really stressful on the parents' end. Moving into the hard conversation of the week, the other day, like I went for a walk with my mom and then after the walk, we were like having this conversation and got on the topic of the podcast and she was like really upset and telling me like what kind of a daughter like says the things that you say about your dad and I on the podcast and like (laughs) and I'm just like what have I said about you guys that is so terrible like really and truly because I think that I am genuinely going out of my way to give examples of like here is something that I experienced and if it's something that I experienced when I was younger that was experienced in a negative light like here's what I learned through therapy that helps me look at it differently like I feel like that's a a positive thing to say like even though I was punished for this thing when I was seven and I felt really like I was afraid of my dad and felt like he hated me like as an adult discussing the experience with my therapist and she's able to say like well what if like that reaction from your dad was out of love and fear and not out of anger and anger is just how it manifested I'm like oh that makes a lot of sense so you know partially and then it was like you know she's she's like well I'm not I'm not even gonna go down that road with you if you think that what you're saying is okay but then literally like in the next breath she's like it's fine it's fine it's fine I don't care I don't even care and, and it's one of those things where like I did tell my mom when I launched my podcast I was like it's called real honest the whole point is for me to be open and honest about my feelings and my life all of it and that is going to include experiences with my family because my family is a big part of my life and my family is one of the biggest stressors of my life you know there's probably going to be some things that are hard to hear and that you're not going to want to hear I can't you know I can't stop you from listening but it's not for you like I'm making the podcast for my friends and for people who are in similar situations to me that are struggling for them to know that they're not alone and that somebody else is going through this and if I can talk about something that I have struggled with and someone can listen to it and like maybe get an idea that might help them then like that's what I'm doing this for like I'm this this is not a forum to complain about my parents this is not a forum to complain about my sisters or say that my family is terrible or I hate them or any of that. Like, that's not what I'm doing. 
And it was just so like, she goes into this tangent and starts telling me how like, clearly my therapist is not serving me and I need to get a different therapist and my therapist must be my age. So how about I get an older therapist that's actually going to teach me something and I have so much more work to do. And I'm just sitting here like for somebody that doesn't go to therapy and refuses to go to therapy (laughs) and that like has tried a couple times and just wouldn't do the work, like you have no right to tell someone that their therapist isn't serving them. Like as as a person that like for a hot second, my mom and I tried to go to therapy together and I kept asking her like, do you feel like this woman is helpful? Like, do you feel like you're learning something? Do you feel like we're communicating better? Do you feel like we're getting closer? And she was like, well, I don't know, you tell me. Like you're the one that goes to therapy. I don't go to therapy. So I don't know how to know if she's helping or not. And that was why I made the decision to stop going because I was very like, if you don't even have, if you don't have a goal in mind, like if you don't have a a gauge of whether or not this is helpful or not, then it can't be helpful because you can't, it's back to the, um, the high jump limits thing where it's like, if you don't have a goal, then you can't know, you have no measure of if you're hitting it or not, of, of how close you're getting to that bar. I just like it reminded me I've tried to describe depression to one of my sisters before because she didn't experience she's has not experienced it and her response to me was like well maybe you should try antidepressants like I have some friends that take those and it's really helping and like I was super bothered by it because for somebody who has never experienced depression and who has never taken medication for something like that I don't think that you have a right to suggest it to other people like I have friends that take antidepressants and I have friends that have had very good amazing experiences with them and I have friends that have had terrible experiences with them when I have considered going on them I have gone to friends that have gone on them and I've gone to my doctors like medical professionals they're like my doctors have decided that I should not try that. That's not to say that I never will. I might get to a point in the future where I need to investigate that. But like so far, my depression has not gotten to the level where my doctors feel that I need to take antidepressants. But either way, it's like that is for me and my doctors to decide together And if I want any other opinions on it, I'm going to get opinions from people that have experienced it. So it's the same kind of thing where like when I talk about therapy, like so many of my friends are in therapy or at one point were in therapy for many years at a time. And those are people that I will listen to their opinion if they say to me, like, I don't think your therapist is helpful. But it's like, if you don't even go to therapy and you're just mad that I have a different opinion than you, you don't have a right to tell me that my therapy isn't working. The conversation um, really didn't end well. It kind of just, anytime I try to have these conversations with my mom, she typically um, either gets really upset and will just say to me like, you know, I'm a terrible mother. You hate me. You, you don't like me. You think I'm awful. Like, fine, let's just not talk. Um, or like, she'll just 
shut down and will be like, all right, you're right. Yes, you're right. I am wrong. You're great. I'm terrible. Fine. Everything is fine. Whatever. I'm over it. (laughs) And you know, it's just like, there's really never a resolution, but kind of back to the boundaries thing is I have, I basically have like buckets of information that I will share with different groups of people. So like when it comes to, when it comes to like romantic relationships, I have specific friends that I will reach out to, to say like, I have this relationship and I need advice on it. And then there are certain friends that I'll reach out to just to tell them the story. But like, I specifically like will not take any advice from them. Like I'm not interested in their opinion. And then there are people that like, don't even get to know that I'm dating because it's just not your business. And then it's the same thing with like work. Like I will give different people different levels of information about my job and my relationship with my boss and my relationship with the different people on teams that I manage. And it's just kind of, you know, as I live life, it's like my different friends and family members, like you, your behavior has to match the access that you are given to my life. And it's, it sucks. I'm going to be honest with you guys. It sucks because for a lot of my family, it has whittled down to like, we can only do small talk. Like we can talk about work in the weather. We can talk about like on a, on a high level, like trips that we might be going on or something, but then it's dangerous territory because it's kind of like if somebody asks like, Oh, what trips do you have planned? And then I give them like a list of all the places that I'm planning to go in the next three months. And then they say, Oh, who are you going with? And then I like give them like the names of people that I'm going with. And then they start to ask like, Oh, who's that? Like, how well do you know that person? And then it kind of dives into like, I don't, I don't want to share with you the, the full capacity of my relationship with that person. Cause that opens up the door for you to have opinions on that person and whether or not I should be traveling with them. And so you, you kind of have to navigate with like the person that you're talking to, if they start asking those questions. And my therapist always says like, when you get in situations like that, it's really helpful to just turn the conversation back to the other person. So if they're getting deeper to a place where like, you're not allowing them to go because you have boundaries in place. Um, if they start to say like, oh, how do you know that person? Just be like, do you have any trips planned? Where are you going? (laughs) And just like kind of keep asking them questions and just keep them talking so that they're not even able to ask you any questions. But at the same time, it's just like, it starts to feel like playing a game and it, and it gets exhausting, you know, and it's, it, you kind of have to feel, feel out like how badly do I want to play that game? How often do I want to play that game? Is it worth it to play that game? Because there are people that I can talk to where I don't have to work this hard of like keeping it on a certain level and keeping it light and fun and happy. And it's just like, it's so, 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 so exhausting. And I think also there are levels of emotional depth. So like the way that my therapist has described this to me is like, if you imagine emotion on, on a scale of, um, one to 10, where one is really, really sad 
and 10 is really, really excited. Like my ex- my level 10 excitement might be your level five if you're like not a not a very expressive person. And so like everybody has a different range. Like people with bipolar, for example, who experience like very extreme highs and very extreme lows, their range of emotion might be like negative 20 to positive 20, where my range of emotion might be negative five to positive five. So I can't like they're experiencing like sadness on a level that I don't even have the ability to go to. So I like I can't I can't, I could not understand their depression if I tried because like my personal emotional low doesn't reach that low. And that's not to take away how low mine is because my low is my low. And it's the same kind of thing where if you think about like people that were raised with a silver spoon where like everything is handed to them and like have maybe never experienced any kind of tragedy and like maybe these people like I'm trying to think of um, a stupid example that I used to give because when I was in college at Belmont there was a very like snooty private school kids that like really looked down on public school kids and there it was a thing there that like if you had gone to a public high school you were thought of as lesser and dumber and like the private school kids were just like all like had themselves up on a pedestal And I remember having a conversation with my roommate because um, one of my roommates I had known previously because we had grown up in church together. And then our other roommate had been um, like came from a very wealthy family and like never really struggled. Not to say that me or the other girl had struggled, to be honest, but my two roommates were like butting heads a lot because one of them just like seemed to have her head in the clouds and just like lived in another world where like everything was great. And the other girl was very like, the world is terrible. Like people are being oppressed and you just don't even understand and like whatever. And I the example that I gave that girl the time I was like, look, if the worst thing that has ever happened to our roommate in her life is that she broke a nail, then that's the worst thing. And maybe the worst thing that ever happened to you is like, you lost a parent, like your parent died. So I totally get that like, you can't compare like your dad dying to her breaking a nail, but you have to think of it in terms of like, she's never lost anyone close to her. Like breaking a nail is the only thing that, that's ever happened to her that has made her sad so like her capacity for sadness compared to yours is very shallow but compared to herself that that's her low like that's her zero or her negative five or whatever it is and when I was having the conversation with this girl she was like you're nuts she's nuts this whole thing is stupid like it doesn't make any sense but it makes a lot of sense to me and it's really helpful to think of because I feel like we are always comparing. And like one of my sisters had t- has told me before that she finds she has a hard time like sharing with me when she's sad because she said it feels like it's always a competition with you where it's like if I'm sad, you're sadder. Like, I'm sad, but you're depressed. Like, a boy has dumped me, but you've been assaulted. So it's just like, I can't, like, I feel like I can't 
be sad. And and if I tell you that I'm sad, it's just so like, you know, I'm looking at her like you broke a nail, get over it. (laughs) You know, when like what I really need to do is just take what I know to be sad completely out of it and just look at her experience just on her scale on its own, like totally not compared to mine. And that's really hard to do. (laughs) Like it's really, really, really hard to do because your brain is your brain and it works how it works. And you experience emotions the way that you experience emotions. Honestly, the easiest thing is to go out and have friends that experience emotions similar to you and that have similar ranges because then you don't have to do all of this emotional work. But it's not realistic that you will only have people in your life that like are easy to talk to and you don't have to do any of this. Movie recommendation of the week. I'm going to recommend The Equalizer 3 even though I hated it because the explanation really is on par with like everything that we're saying. So like I went to see The Equalizer 3 a few weeks ago with um, my parents and a couple of their friends and the four of them love the movie and I thought it was awful. (laughs) Um, And this is like a whole argument that I have with people all the time that drives me insane. (laughs) But so movies are objectively bad or good. Subjectively, you enjoy a movie or you don't enjoy a movie. That is completely irrelevant (laughs) to whether or not the movie is objectively bad or good. And it's so annoying because like when I try to have this conversation with my dad, he's like, yeah, well, we didn't all go to film school. And I'm just like, I learned literally nothing in film school. I did not learn this in film school. This is just common sense. (laughs) Like this is just stuff that I've always known because I love movies and I study movies. So, okay, basically like there is a formula for plot, right? Where you you learned this, the, the narrative structure you learned in language arts class in elementary school, where there is an inciting incident that kicks off the story. And then, you know, you, the protagonist is like working towards a goal. And then there's a climax. And then there's a resolution. Like, okay, so if the, if the plot has all of those elements, then that's one sign that objectively it is like that's something that you look for okay so like when you're determining whether or not a movie is good it's like does the plot do all of these things does it follow the narrative structure or if it breaks the narrative structure does it do it well you know because and shonda rhimes talks about this in her master class so if you're interested totally take it but she talks about how like you can totally break the rules when it comes to writing when it comes to any creative project like movies tv whatever Um, There's even, there's a structure to write a pop song and, you know, but she just talks about like, if you're going to break the rules, you have to learn the rules in order to break them so that you can break them well. And that's the kind of thing where like, if a movie starts at the climax and then reverses in time, like there's a, there's a way to do that well, and there's a way to do it poorly. But so anyway, there's the does the you know is there a plot then there's script like are the lot like are the lines good are they convincing are characters going on journeys are the characters static or are they dynamic um and then there's cinematography and there's music and the score and like all of these different things like a movie can have all of those things and the example that i usually use is the king's speech because i hate that movie (laughs) Like, I just, I hate it. It's a great 
movie though like objectively it's amazing it does everything correctly the script is amazing the story is amazing the actors performances are amazing it's beautifully shot it's very well acted like I truly cannot find fault anywhere in that movie it's just that I personally don't like it it's not a story that I enjoy watching I find myself very bored when I watch that movie that doesn't make it a bad movie so I say all this to say I the Equalizer 3 is a terrible movie (laughs) like it is so bad like there's just the plot does not follow the narrative structure there isn't even really a plot The script is awful. There's not a single character that has any growth or goes on any kind of journey. Um, Love Dakota Fanning, but she really doesn't even have a purpose in the movie. It's basically just like watching Denzel kill people, which, you know, if that's what you want, that's what you want. And so it did occur to me when I was sitting here like arguing with these four people that like loved this movie, there's nothing wrong with them loving this movie, by the way. You know, I just want everyone to acknowledge that it's bad. (laughs) Like I was just saying it's bad and I hated it. It's bad and you loved it. That's fine. Like the, I love the Mission Impossible franchise. I don't think those are good anymore. The Fast and Furious movies have not been good since the fourth one. Those are terrible. I love them. Like Fast and Furious is my favorite franchise. I don't watch Fast and Furious for oscar level acting and for like deep emotional work like i watch fast and furious to watch vin diesel say family (laughs) and to see some crazy car stunts that don't make any sense so i feel like the equalizer i like it's literally exactly the same as john wick to me where it's just like those aren't movies that people see for like story and character development it's like that's what people see to just like watch a man murder for two hours um and that's what some people like and want and that's totally fine so I'm recommending that one today because it has occurred to me that like I love to do deep emotional work like that's why I'm obsessed with Barbie because Barbie has the like bubblegum plot going on and then it's got the like underlying how hard it is to be a woman in America that had me sitting there crying because it's like I'm not the only one that feels this way like other women feel the same way that I do living in this male-dominated America they're struggling and they are in pain And a woman that looks like Margot Robbie can literally think that she's not good enough, (laughs) you know? And it's like the fact that like other women feel this way and enough of them feel this way that they made a whole movie about it. It's just like never had a better experience in my life. I do understand that like a lot of people just want like something easy like they want something that they don't have to have had a deep emotional experience to connect to it or understand it and they don't want to have they don't want to leave the theater like thinking about it forever we're like that to me like that's what I look for I am like when I walked out of Barbie the first time I thought about it and talked about it for the next week (laughs) And then I saw it again. I have now seen it four times and I'm still talking about it. 
where something like the equalizer, it's like the second I stepped out of the theater, it was out of my mind. Like, I'm not going to call anyone and talk to them about the equalizer because there's, there's not even any substance there to talk about, but it, that's not a problem, you know, like people want stuff like that. You know, a lot of people, for a lot of people, movies and books like they're an escape like they want to escape into another world for two hours and just like not be bothered and not be thinking about their own life and I do think that that's part of um when I've talked to women that don't like Barbie I think part of it is that like they were expecting to escape into another world and like see a story for two hours and Barbie just hits too close to home because it's like oh no like this this is our world and these are problems that we have that are not resolved what do we do it's like you walk out of Barbie and you're like oh no you're like okay so people are even acknowledging how terrible everything is what do we do what do we do? And we just don't know. I'm not here to sugarcoat, I'm sorry above you. Too much shelter causes pain, let's just be real honest. Things are gonna knock you down, avoidance will not help you out. Let's talk it through, you me and you, let's keep it real honest.